Section 36 of Claimants to Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Becky Cook. Claimants to Royalty by John H. Ingram. Chapter 36 The False Dauphins in France. Augustus Mevis. Of all the tawdry fictions invented by pretenders to the name and title of Louis the Seventeenth, none are so ridiculous as the tale told by the Mevis family, if that really be their name, and yet none have so persistently troubled the public with printed assertions of the claims as they. The quantum of probability in their story may be gauged by telling it in the words of Augustus Mevis, alias Auguste de Bourbon, son of Louis the Seventeenth. However, the tale cannot be given in extenso from the works issued by this illustrious man, as, not only has it required several volumes to put it before the world, but it is so contradictory, and at times obscure, that it requires no slight manipulation to render it comprehensible. Beginning his career with the temple epic, the pseudo-dauphin, contrary to the accounts of his competitors, declares that he has no recollection of Simon the jailer having ever willfully ill-treated him, and that owing to a person named Herbert, having wounded him in a fit of passion, Madame Simon's womanly feelings were roused on his behalf, and she determined to save him. His rescue was thus brought about. Tom Paine, author of The Rights of Man, who was at this time a member of the French National Convention, wrote to a lady friend in London to bring him a deaf and dumb boy to Paris. This lady, unable to execute the commission, communicated the secret to her bosom friend Mrs. Mevis, and she naturally informed her husband. It so happened that Mr. Mevis had a son who, being in delicate health, his father was naturally desirous of getting rid of. Mr. Mevis, therefore, without confiding in his wife, went to Paris with his son, who, by the way, was neither deaf nor dumb, and placed him in the hands of certain people, who substituted him for the Dauphin. The exchange was effected at a time when public interest being concentrated on the Queen's trial, the vigilance at the temple, says, Auguste de Bourbon was relaxed. According to the recollection of the Dauphin, his escape was thus managed. It seems to my reflective powers that I was lying on the sofa in the parlour of the small tower of the temple, and was awakened by Madame Simon saying, Votre père est arrivé. She then aroused me from the sofa, taking the pillow therefrom, and putting it into a kind of hamper-basket, and after placing me in it, she covered me with a light dress and carried the basket across the ground. A coach was waiting at the gate, into which she placed the basket, when we were driven to where Mr. Mevis resided. The coach needed to carry Madame Simon's linen to scorch its contents, and in due time the Duke of Normandy was landed in England, where he took the place of Mr. Mevis's son, that iron-hearted gentleman having made a vow to Marie Antoinette, whom he contrived to get an interview with, that the young prince should be brought up in utter ignorance of his true origin. And that secret, says Auguste de Bourbon, he kept to the end of his existence. Whether Louis Charles so readily forgot his real parents in position does not probably need investigation. He was placed at a day-school, where, after a fashion, he learned English, and subsequently at a boarding-school at Wandsworth. Meanwhile, Mrs. Mevis, having discovered that her son had had to take the place of young Louis in the temple, very naturally wished to effect his release. She obtained a deaf and dumb boy, and by a roundabout route took him to Paris, Vigilance being apparently again relaxed at the temple, the unfortunate deaf and dumb scapegoat was now substituted for Augustus Mevis, and his escape was effected. At what precise date this was accomplished, says Auguste de Bourbon, is not definitely fixed, but it is suggested after July 1794. 
Mrs. Mevis did not stay in Paris till its accomplishment, i.e. her son's release, but returned to England in the month of May. Augustus Mevis now disappears from the scene, although it is suggested that he may have been the pretender Naundorf, but the Dauphin King was carefully educated by the unnatural parents who had their adopted child taught the pianoforte. The boy made such progress that an unnamed Scotch newspaper deemed him only to be equaled by the great Mozart. Their success made the foster father afraid the lad's origin might come to light, so he placed him in the seclusion of a friend's counting-house. His Royal Highness did not admire this occupation, and by Mrs. Mevis's aid was able to resume his former vocation. He became a volunteer and joined the loyal British artificers, and in 1811 was promoted to the rank of captain. In 1813 he relinquished the musical profession to become a speculator at the rotunda of the Bank of England. In 1814 he visited Calais, but the return of Napoleon in 1815 prevented him, says his son, going to Paris. In this latter year he observed a lady scrutinizing him at the old Argyle Rooms, Regent Street, and was informed that it was the Duchess d'Angoulême, the unfortunate victim of all the pseudo-dauphins. In 1816 he visited Paris, and found many of the sights quite familiar to his memory. In 1818 Mr. Mevis died, and so faithful was he to his promise to Marie Antoinette of keeping his secret of the dauphin's origin, that in his will he absolutely declared the young man to be his illegitimate son. This naturally aroused the ire of Mrs. Mevis, who, bound by no oath, informed her adopted son of his real parentage, declaring somewhat rashly, Your identity can be proved as positive as the sun at noonday. This disclosure, says Auguste de Bourbon, naturally unsettled and perplexed the dauphin, for his early recollections were but vaguely defined. He obtained an order for his putative father's disinterment, but that does not appear to have solved the mystery any more than did the fact that, in 1821, the Dauphin became a speculator and experienced its vicissitudes. In 1823, Mrs. Mevis died, after having advised the Dauphin not to be induced to read any private memoirs of the Queen of France, as it will only get your mind wool-gathering. Unfortunately, Augustus did not follow this prudent advice, and the consequence was that the unfortunate Duchess de Angoulême was bothered with more fraternal appeals and with the other information that the writer possessed a mole on the middle of the stomach. Ultimately, a French nobleman visited Augustus and told him that, in his opinion, the British government knew who he was, but feared to acknowledge him, as, from the energy of his character, he might put the whole of Europe in a state of fermentation. Because, pointed out this Frenchman, he was not only king of France in right of birth, but also heir to Maria Theresa, Empress of Germany. On the ninth of May, 1859, this pretender died, but unfortunately his pretensions did not die with him. He left two sons, of whom the elder, known to the public generally as William Mevis, has published several ungrammatical and illogical works respecting his alleged royal lineage under the assumed name of Auguste de Bourbon. End of section 36